Well, the regulatory agencies should be held accountable. The FDA, the CDC, the World Health Organization, they are allowing this. Okay, they they have control and they can decide that 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 the way that these these clinical trials, the, the, you know, these uh, these tests, because basically everybody's in the clinical trial right now. You know, the, the vaccine has been authorized. It has not been approved by the FDA. So that it's under emergency use authorization. So what that means is that everybody until until uh, the spring of, of uh, 2022, Everybody is basically has been enrolled, even against their will. If you're taking that COVID vaccine, you are in the clinical trials, okay, without your knowledge, because these are essentially experimental vaccines, even though they do not want to hear that word used because they think it's going to scare people away from the vaccine. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. And today, I am uh, i know I've said I'm excited before, but I'm really excited about this one because Neil Z. Miller is a medical research journalist, and he's director of the Institute of Medical and Scientific Inquiry. And he's the guy, he and Dr. Randall Neustadter, were my guides, even though I've never met them before. So today is my meeting him and you're meeting him. But you guys have heard about the disinformation dozen. And these are 12 of my colleagues are being targeted by the mainstream media right now. Um, they are being deplatformed. They are being taken down. But Neil Z. Miller was out there long before most of those people even knew how many scams were involved in the vaccine industry. But when my son was severely injured, and I have not even told Neil this story, I said, we'll wait for it in the intro here. But when my first son, who um, turns 28 this summer, um, when he became severely injured and nearly died many times after the MMR vaccine, and I still didn't connect it. I still didn't connect it to the vaccine, which is one of the biggest frustrations about what's going on right now is how many people are having these horrible reactions. They don't even... They, they refuse to even take a look at whether it, be, could, it could be connected to the, um, the medical product that they injected themselves with. But he has spent 30 years educating parents and health practitioners about vaccines. He's been encouraging informed consent for practitioners and parents alike. He's been involved in, in helping create non-mandatory laws. He's the author of many articles, studies, books on vaccines. I read his book, 26 years ago, and it changed my life. So thank you so much for joining us on the Vibe Show, Neil Z. Miller. Thanks for having me, Robin. I'm really happy to be able to share my information. You know, when I first read your book, um, I thought it was about saving my son's life. And it did save my son's life. Your work was very instrumental in saving the life of a kid who would go on to get well um, after a lot of work on my part, um, who go on to get well and be most valuable player in the state playoffs at six foot three after, you know, his vaccine injury put him in, in and out of hospitals, five courses of liquid steroids, very touch and go many times. Um, I had PTSD over it for years, like had a hard time just not being right there while my kids were sleeping, afraid I'd lose them in the middle of the night. Um, I've become a very light sleeper still to this day, 20, 20 years later, because when the coughing starts, I didn't know when, you know, 
like oxygen saturation rate would get down to 80 and we'd be in an emergency room. So, you know, really life changing for us. But to learn from you gave me a lot of courage. One of the things I learned from you is pretty sure I read this in your book because I only had the two. There wasn't much out there. You were out, you're really a pioneer. I mean, everybody talks about Sherry Tenpenny. I read your book long before Sherry Tenpenny ever even questioned vaccines. And that's not to take anything away from her. But one of the things I read from you that really encouraged me is that in Japan, and I'd love for you to just address this, even though it might seem like a weird place to start. In Japan, they didn't really immunize kids under the age of two much. And they had a tiny, tiny fraction, the rate of SIDS. And SIDS was the thing that I was just like, my anxiety just all focused on that. Like I was just absolutely terrified because a neighbor of mine whose child had been vaccinated two and a half days later, just died in the middle of the day on a Sunday in a nap. And I was just absolutely petrified that would happen to me because it had taken me five years to bring my first child in the world. His twin had died already. Here he was super, super sick. I was terrified of SIDS. Um, now we've got SADS this year. I don't know if you've noticed, but they've invented SADS this year to cover for the uh, adult, you know, vaccine deaths. So I learned from you and I'd love for you to just take off and go wherever you want with that, that, that Japan didn't immunize its kids with dozens and dozens of, of, toxic disease injections in their first year of life and they hardly had any SIDS. Well, what, happened right with, about that? Yeah, what happened with, with Japan is that they, uh, they noticed uh, of some of the children had, had died from, from uh, shortly after receiving the, the vaccines and they, they did a full scale investigation. Unlike here in the United States, where we just covered it up and continued business with business as usual. Um, and so they, they stopped uh, vaccinating with uh, the pertussis vaccine um, in infant, during infancy, and they switched uh, to beginning the DPT vaccination series, the pertussis vaccination series, uh, at the age of two years. And what happened in the years following that uh, shift is that um, sudden infant death syndrome virtually disappeared as 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 a just as a, just as a reality. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that absolutely happened, but it's interesting, you know, with SIDS, SIDS, uh, sudden event death syndrome was the, was a big deal, uh, back in the, in the seventies and and eighties, um, starting in the nineties when they, uh, when the, uh, health industry started to introduce many, many more in, uh, vaccines to the, to the, to the, to the recommended immunization schedule for, for infants. Um, the, there was an explosion of autism now. And, and so we've, you know, since basically the 1990s, we, that it's been, that's been the big story about, uh, uh, the autism rates and rightfully so because, the vaccines, there are, there are numerous studies that absolutely link, uh, increased autism rates to, to vaccination, despite what the CDC and the FDA and the World Health Organization are telling people. In fact, the CDC itself published their own study confirming that, uh, that vaccines, uh, increased the rate of autism by, by over, uh, seven and a half t- times. People that received, uh, vaccines with, um, with uh with thimerosal we're seven and a half times more likely to eventually be uh or later be diagnosed with autism when compared to 
to babies that received those same identical vaccines without the thimerosal in them. This study was... We should interrupt just long enough to say that thimerosal, if you're new to this topic, is the ingredient that contains mercury, which is what, like the second most toxic substance on the planet and ends up in these infants' brains at hundreds of times higher than a rate that the FDA considers acceptable, not that there should be any acceptable rate. Well, they, they said that they were, you know, they, what happened was they, 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 starting in the 1990s, they started uh, increasing the, the recommended, on the recommended immunization schedule, they started uh, increasing the, the rates of vaccines that were required that, and, and that, that contained, contained mercury. In fact, the amount of mercury in the vaccines was significantly higher than if you went to, for, for what the CDC was recommending, but if you went to the, the Environmental Protection Agency's website and looked up the, 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 uh, dangerous levels of mercury, the, the, the levels that the CDC was recommending on the one government re- website was, was 20 to 50 times higher than, than what the EPA on the other government's, uh, website said was, was safe for, for infants. Um, and so in 19, from 1999 to, to, to the year two, 2002, they, they, uh, they, they slowly phased out mercury from most in, infant vaccines. But at the same time, they surreptitiously added it back in to, to, a, to flu vaccines and made the, the new recommendations that, that pregnant women uh, were to receive uh, these influenza vaccines and, and infants were to receive two do- doses of, of a mercury-containing influenza vaccine. Um, now, ninety percent. Now, n- why do they put mercury into, vac- into vaccines? And, and there's still mercury is still in vaccines. A lot of people think that, that vaccines no longer contain mercury, but but they do. And um, uh, they, they add mercury to multi-dose vials. It's cheaper for the vaccine manufacturer. Once the vaccine manufacturer has produced the, 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 the vaccine, it's cheaper to market them or to, 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 uh, produce them in one, to 10 doses in one vial and, and ship it to the doctor's offices or the clinics than it is to put, put 10 doses into 10 vials. And when you have 10 doses in, in one vial, um, and, and there's going to be 10, uh, uh, needles going into that vial to, to withdraw uh, one dose each uh, to give to a, d- different babies. Um, they, they put in the mercury as an anti-bacterial, uh, uh, as, as an anti-microbial uh, uh, agent. Okay, so it's it's an antibacterial agent. Um, but of course, like you you mentioned, it's it's uh, it's extremely toxic. Uh, it causes it can cause neurological damage. And one of my greatest concerns, and I'll get back to SIDS in a moment because I do want to talk. I just had a, a study that was just published on this topic on sudden infant death syndrome. So we will talk about that. But 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 one of my uh, pet con- one of my main concerns uh, with the, with the vac- in, in the vaccine uh, industry is with with the immunization schedule for infants. Um, but it begins with with pregnant women because pregnant women are being told number one that they need to receive an inf- a, a mercury containing influenza vaccine during pregnancy and they also need to con- to receive an aluminum containing uh, pertussis vaccine during pregnancy 
So pregnant women are receiving an aluminum, uh, an aluminum containing pertussis vaccine and a mercury containing flu vaccine during pregnancy. The, the mercury and the aluminum, and by the way, aluminum, numerous studies, and I document these in my latest book. My latest book is called Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies. People can get that up on Amazon or they can go up to my website where I've got a lot of free resources at thinktwice.com. And again, it's Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies. In that book, I summarize 400 studies from the peer-reviewed medical literature. It, it's a, these are studies published in, in peer-reviewed journals. And, and there's a chapter in there on mercury, and there's also a chapter in there on aluminum. And I summarize over 25 studies on aluminum documenting that showing that aluminum is a neuro, can cause neurological and immunological damage. Um, so, so that's a concern. Now, so when the pregnant women receive mercury and aluminum laced vaccines, that mercury and aluminum does uh, transfer into, into, in utero to, to, uh, through the, through the placenta to the baby. So when that baby is born, that baby now get, receives a hepatitis B vaccine at birth if they're, if they're a hospital birth. By the way, my children were born at home. I caught them when they entered the world and greet, was the first to greet them. Um, we did everything natural, everything holistic. I did not vaccinate my children. They were breastfed for two years. We did not circumcise my son. And, uh, so, uh, and we did not u- utilize medical doctors. So that, that is a possibility for people that are, uh, have the courage to, to, to go down that route. Um, but, um, but, the, but, but nevertheless, um, vaccines, uh, at birth, if you have a hospital birth, you're, you're going to receive a hepat- that, that baby's going to receive a hepatitis B vaccine that contains aluminum. And then at two months of age, babies receive, if you follow the, 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 the CDC, CDC's recommended immunization schedule, babies will receive eight vaccines at two months, and then again at four months, and then again at six months of age. In fact, at six months of age, they receive nine vaccines. Vaccines are drugs. I ask parents, when is the last time you took eight or nine drugs at the same time? Even during your craziest college years, did you ever, did you ever mix, uh, mix and take seven or eight or nine drugs at the same time. I can think of one, I can think of one time that that happens. And that's in the past 16 months, since we all heard this, this word COVID, um, they administer eight to nine paralytics and sedatives so that they can shove a tube down into someone's lungs. And there's a 90% chance they'll die of it. So that's only one I can think of. Yeah. And keep in mind too, we're talking about two different things. One is, is, once somebody has already caught a disease, the, the, the risk to benefit ratio changes, right? It c- compare that to a baby that has no disease, that has no, no, no pre-existing conditions. So the risk benefit ratio, uh, the, the risk is much greater for a child that is perfectly healthy and is receiving eight or nine vaccines when compared to somebody that is potentially dying. And then they're going to give them a cocktail of, of drugs. Right. Okay. Um, but nevertheless, if you give, if you give that many drugs at any, at, at any, at, 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 at concurrently, if you talk to any toxicologist, they'll tell you that there's increased risk for what they call additive or synergistic toxicity. 
And this is just, it's just common knowledge. If there's, if there's a, if there's a, a chance of, 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 if, if one vaccine or one drug is potentially has so many side effects and another vaccine or another drug also can cause, uh, side effects. When you, when you take them simultaneously, you, you, it's sometimes it's additive, but sometimes it's synergistic. It's, it's, it's greater than just the combination of those, uh, of what you would expect if you just had the, you know, added, added up what you could expect as the potential risk with, with the side effects. Um, but, but, but my point is, is that, um, at two, four and six months of age, babies are receiving a hepatitis B, uh, an aluminum containing hepatitis B vaccine, an aluminum containing pertussis vaccine, an aluminum containing pneumococcal vaccine. And they're also giving out a hepatitis B vaccine that contains aluminum and, and a homophilus influenza type B, HIB, a HIB vaccine that also contains aluminum. So they are basically overdosing babies at, at birth. Two months, four months, and six months of age, and then they're again giving the baby uh, a mercury-containing influenza, uh, influenza vaccine at six months and seven months of age. Um, so this is my greatest concern right now, and we could do a great service to humanity if we were to to find a way to remove mercury and aluminum. Uh, from vaccines. Now, aluminum is put in vaccines for a completely different reason than mercury. Aluminum is put in vaccines to uh, to increase the production of antibodies. Aluminum is considered an adjuvant, and an adjuvant is used to to sort of um, to, to it really is an, an irritant, and, and it aggravates uh, or, or stimulates the immune system to produce more antibodies. Um, but like I said, the aluminum travel, the, the aluminum has been shown through many different studies. It, it's, it's, it's been shown to travel to distant organs, uh, in, in the spleen and the brain. Um, it crosses the blood brain barrier and, and can cause, like I said, neurological damage. It causes autoimmune disorders. Um, so what we're doing to our babies is just off the charts, uh, mad science. Um, but back to si- sudden infant death syndrome. Yes. In the in the in the 1980s, it came to a head, and and that was the big issue. And parents were very concerned about it. It was only in the 90s and 2000s when, they, like I said, where autism was the talk of the town, and 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 uh, and we we still have uh, a lot of issues associated with vaccines and their association with with autism. But people have stopped talking about sudden infant death. But in the past several months. Uh, for the past year, I have been working on a, on a study, and um, I've been researching sudden infant death syndrome. And I uh, and I sent it out to a journal, Toxicology Reports, and it was peer reviewed, and it was accepted for publication, and it was published just about three weeks ago. And uh, that study, um, I'm going to summarize for everybody um, because it's a very important study. Um, and it, it, it's on my website at thinktwice.com. If you scroll down towards the bottom of the page on the left-hand side, I've put a link up so that you can go and, and download the, the, the complete study. Or you can go up to the, to the journal called Toxicology Reports. You can put in my name or you can put in the title of the study, Vaccines and Sudden Infant Death, an analysis of the VAERS database, 1990 to 2019, and review of the medical literature, and you'll be able to download that study um, uh, and uh, without without a fee, and read it, uh, read it, uh, read it, for, uh, read it completely. Um, so, um, sudden infant death. I want to I want to mention that 
back in uh, back um, be, prior to uh, the 1960s, there, there was no, no there wasn't even a term called sudden infant death. Nobody knew of that term. There was a rare phenomenon called called crib death. It was extremely rare. And if you, if you if you read the medical literature around the world, you'll find very little on the topic. But occasionally, a baby would would uh, would die in its sleep. Um, but like I said, it was extremely rare. Um, but starting in the 1960s, something unusual happened. And and what happened was that the uh, medical industry, the medical industrial complex, decided that they were going to begin national vaccination campaigns. And what they did is they be- began to require a series of vaccines. They introduced new vaccines and they required them for all children entering school. And so children in the 1960s had to receive smallpox vaccines. They had to receive a polio vaccine. They had to receive a diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine. They introduced the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines that year, uh, or I mean that decade. And, um, and then in 1969, um, they, uh, there was a new term that was introduced and it was called sudden infant death syndrome because many babies started dying after they received their vaccines. So in 1969, they introduced a new t- medical, a new, uh, a new term. Yes, in 1972. So starting in 1972, um, the, the term sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS was, was officially adopted as a legal definition for a cause of, a, a cause of, of infant death. Um, and, um, but essentially it was a catch-all phrase. Essentially it was a repository for deaths that were, were so, may have been uh, linked to two vaccines. They're, they're basically babies were expiring shortly after receiving the vaccines and, and, uh, doctors started recording them as sudden infant death syndrome. Um, in the 1970s, something else happened. And, uh, if you go back to 1893, um, a hundred, you know, you know, over a hundred years ago, the international classification of diseases was established, and this was how the medical industry uh, they 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 had uh, legal def- definitions for uh, to how to certify a cause of death. And so, a coroner, when a baby died, or when 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 a baby died or or expired um, in, in any of various ways. They would, doctors and medical certifiers or coroners would go to the international classification of diseases and they would, uh, they would have to pick a medical code to, to, uh, certify the, the cause of death. Well, about every 20 years, 15 or 20 years, the, the ICD, the international classification of diseases was, is updated. We're up to the 11th edition. Um, but in 1972, when the new edition, uh, I'm sorry, not 1972, but the mid-1970s, when the ICD was revised and updated, they removed a legal, a legal definition for a cause of death. Up to 1972, the ICD contained a, uh, a, a, a medical code called prophylactic vaccination. In other words, medical certifiers, coroners, were able to list prophylactic vaccination as a legal cause of death. But in 1972, they removed that as an option. And uh, I discuss this in more detail in my paper. Um, um, but what, 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 ha- what that effectively did is it caused 
medical certifiers to do two things uh, because they no longer had a code for vaccine related deaths. So basically what they had to do was number one, misclassify the, the cause of death if they believed it was truly related to vaccines. And they had to conceal the cause of death as having been caused by vaccination. So they were misclassifying and concealed deaths and they were using alternate ICD codes, alternate medical codes. Um, in the, in the 1980s, people became concerned about how much and many children were, were becoming brain damaged and dying after receiving the DPT vaccine. The DPT vaccine is highly, is highly reactive. It's, it's the whole cell pertussis vaccine. It wasn't until the 1990s that they introduced a new vaccine, a new pertussis vaccine for the, for the, for the uh, childhood disease called whooping cough. Um, uh, that was uh, called a, the acellular version, which some people believed was less reactive, was, was likely to cause less severe adverse reactions. But in the 1980s, th- this, this vaccine was, was linked to many cases of sudden infant death syndrome and also to uh, mental retardation and, and brain damage. And parents were, were concerned. Even the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, TV shows that the investigative uh, TV shows like 60 Minutes and, and uh, other investigative research search shows like that, uh, like uh, similar to that, we're doing, uh, we're doing exposés on, on the DPT vaccine and how it was causing damage and death in, in parents' babies. And after that show aired, vaccination rate drops, vaccination rates dropped and Parents were afraid to vaccinate their babies, and the pharmaceutical industry um, uh, sought from Congress liability uh, protection because they were being sued, and they threatened to go out of business if they weren't protected. So Congress in 1986 established a, a law that protected vaccine manufacturers from liability if the products that they produced caused damage or death in in the, the the uh, recipients of those products. Um, we've had we've had a number of experts, all the way from Sherry Tenpenny to Bobby Kennedy, and my own discussion of my story, which is decades old, um, about National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act. And I would love for everybody to write that down in notes and be able to talk articulately about it because it's never been more important to know what actually happened that led us to this point in history that these vaccine manufacturers have no legal liability as long as they put in the insert. Of course, with the COVID vaccine, they just have a big giant piece of paper that says this page left intentionally blank. And I'm not kidding. There's actually three of them in each insert, but everyone should write that down. NVCA, National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act happened in 1986. I'm just reiterating what you said because what I need to underscore that because it could not be more important because they were threatening to go out of business. They were threatening, they were saying, we're not going to to make these life-saving injections for you anymore unless you give us li- liability protection. And Ronald Reagan agreed to it, and so did the parents of vaccine-injured children. Go ahead and take it from there. Well, yeah, exactly. And in fact, you know, what happens is when a parent goes to the pediatrician and buys a vaccine, uh, 75 cents for every vaccine, okay? So like if you get the MMR vaccine, uh, that's actually three vaccines, even though it's one injection. It's three vaccines in one, uh, in one needle. 
Um, and, and so there's two dollars and 25 cents that goes into a, into a congressional fund that's overseen by the Department of the Treasury. And so this money is collected every time a vaccine is sold. And it's used to, to pay off parents when their children are injured or permanently injured or killed by vaccines that they received. As, as of, uh, this month, more than four and a half billion dollars has been paid out to parents whose children have been uh, been permanently injured or killed by vaccines. And I, I should m- mention to you, you don't know this, Neil, but you should. So I broke the story of the hospitalization of both Everest and Preston Romney. They are my cousins. I don't know them, but I'm a Romney. And they're my cousins, and they are both six foot nine super athletes. Like the boy was being recruited at the age of 16 to college baseball. He is now an invalid, can't see from the pressure on his brain. His father ended up hospitalized with, so, so Preston, this is now 17 year old, um, lots of blood clots in the, well, two blood clots in the brain and the jugular. The father had over a hundred blood clots in his lungs and he, they both got one injection of different brands, different brands of the COVID vaccine. No one has touched it in the media, except Tucker Carlson finally did two months later. And I got a text from Sheree Romney because I get messages every day saying, how is the Romney family doing? And she said, we found out definitively today that Moderna and Pfizer are going to do absolutely nothing for us. They set no money aside for this. And there, there is nothing for us besides trying to figure out how to pay all these medical bills. Well, the regulatory agencies should be held accountable. The FDA, the CDC, the World Health Organization, they are allowing this. Okay. They, they have control and they can decide that, that, that the way that these, these clinical trials, the, the, you know, these, uh, these tests, because basically everybody's in the clinical trial right now because the, 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 the COVID vaccine has not been, uh, and I do want to finish up on sudden infant death syndrome. Yes. Let me just, since we're talking about COVID now, let me just briefly uh, discuss this. Um, you know, the, the vaccine has been authorized. It has not been approved by the FDA. So that it's under emergency use authorization. So what that means is that everybody until, until, uh, the spring of, of, uh, 2022, everybody is basically has been enrolled even against their will. If you're taking that COVID vaccine, you are in the clinical trials. Okay, without your knowledge, because these are essentially experimental vaccines, even though they do not want to hear that word used because they think it's going to scare people away from the vaccine. But um, but that's exactly what they are. They're still experimental because the clinical trials have not been been completed. And they won't be completed until, until sometime in 2022. Um, but, but the way that it's all gone about where there's no real, um, real surveillance system for, for looking at how many people are getting blood clots and how many people are dying after receiving these vaccines and documenting it because they absolutely don't want to know those numbers. They absolutely want to be able to fudge those numbers and to be able to tell us that the, the, the vaccine benefit to risk ratio is is that the benefits of the vaccine are greater than the risks okay but they but they're not doing anything in a very scientific and disciplined way 
and they're not doing anything in a transparent way where, where we should have access to all of the available data so that independent researchers can look at, look at that data and can analyze it. Instead, they're controlling everything. They're controlling the narrative. They're controlling the data. And, uh, so we don't have, we don't have access to what, what is absolutely really going on, but there are numerous cases like you described where people are receiving this vaccine and shortly after are, are either being permanently injured or dying. And there's nothing, not a peep in the, in the, uh, in the media. The media has been bought out. Um, they have, uh, they have been captured by the, the regulatory agencies. The regulatory agencies have been captured by Big Pharma. Okay. The media, the media basically and, and the regulatory agencies have all been captured by Big Pharma. And, um, so when you, you know, I mean, it's, it's all a revolving door and the media gets 60 to 70% of their advertising dollars from Big Pharma and they've already got plants. Uh, in, in, in there. So there's no, but by that, what I mean, plants, I, I mean, they've got ph- pharmaceutical plants, uh, medical industrial complex plants in, in, in major media so that they're controlling the message. They're controlling the narrative. And, um, in fact, right now, um, you know, Fox News is the only one, uh, Tucker Carlson is one of the only News, uh, he's one of the, the few that is actually trying to, to, uh, introduce some, uh, some s- sensibility to, to, to all of this. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, he's really late to the party. You know, he was toeing the line in the beginning, but for a year, for a long, long time. I mean, you and I were awake to it from the jump because we have 30 years of, studying this stuff, but now he's doing it. And I would give anything to see what's going on behind the scenes because Tucker Carlson, in my opinion, is the only good thing about Fox News. It's owned by the same five, six companies, whatever it is. Oh, I, can't, I can't watch any of the, any of the major media. I can't watch no. MSNBC, CNN, um, Fox News, you know, none of it because it's all just, uh, you know, a lot of prop- propaganda. They're ba- just basically bolstering an agenda. They have an agenda. They're not doing any investigative research. Um, which is, was the original reason for the establishment of the, of the, uh, First Amendment, the, the, the freedom of the press. The, the, you know, it was the First Amendment because it's one of the, it's the most important amendment. The, the one yep. where, where we shouldn't be censored for, for questioning vaccines. We shouldn't be censored for questioning, um, the, 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 the big pharma. And I don't understand why Democrats, who were always the, the ones that fought for the, for the, for the underdog, I don't understand why the de- Democrats, and they knew that big, always knew big pharma was a problem, but with vaccines, they give big pharma a pass. I have no idea why they're doing that other than the fact that they've been bought out and, and they've, uh, and, and they've got, they're pushing the agenda. And, uh, but, but look, that's, um, you know, that, that's what's going on. And, um, yeah, and, and side note, I think I would love to see the battle that's going on between Tucker Carlson and Fox News because I think it's just a detente because, uh, Tucker Carlson gets fired. I bet Fox News loses half or more of its revenue because I'm not the only one who thinks that Tucker Carlson's the only good thing left about Fox News and he's the only one that's not totally sold out. So they fire him. They lose half their revenue. That said, he is clearly insisting on exposing as much of the truth as he possibly can. So anyways, 
Not well, I, I, I sent Tucker Carlson my book, Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies, along with a cover letter telling him that this book is important to give him strength because, because my book summarizes, like I said, over 400 studies from the peer-reviewed medical journals because I know that he's receiving a lot of flack. And uh, my book has been used by... Um, uh, vaccine uh, organizations around the nation, in fact, around the world, buy my book in cases. They buy case quantities of my book and they give them to legislators, state legislators, to show them that there are problems with vaccines because doctors and 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 legislators often will, will make this false or bogus claim that vaccines are not there's no studies that vaccines cause any problems. Well, that's just an outright lie. That's just ignorance because there are thousands of studies published in the medical literature showing that vaccines have safety and efficacy issues. And I summarize many of these in my books. The book that you read that, that helped to wake you up to so that your uh, last two children um, wouldn't be vaccinated and wouldn't be injured by vaccines like your first two children was probably vaccines. Are they really safe and effective? That book came out in 1992 and it was a bestseller and was translated into multiple languages around the world. And I receive, I receive letters and phone calls pretty much every week from parents that have read that book and thank me, uh, thank me for, for, for writing that book. And, and, and they believe that it's, it's, it was a, it really helped them to make informed decisions. But you know, that- I, and it's no, it's no joke to stand up to a pediatrician when you're a 24 year old mother. Um, because you're not old enough to have questioned these power structures yet. Um, now, you know, the last two children, I didn't even take them in for the well baby visit. I was like, I know my babies well. I don't need some person in a white coat to, you know, measure them and weigh them and tell me that I, I know what a well baby looks like. But the first two I went in there and then I got pressured to do things that I was increasingly uncomfortable with. And my children were paying the price and both of them had asthma and the oldest one was absolutely life threatening over and over again. But another thing I learned from your book that was completely mind blowing. And it's, it's now like the, the determiner for me when someone says this, I know for a fact that they have done absolutely no research whatsoever about all of the, the toxic injections that go into their bodies and their children's bodies is that I believe it was from you that I learned that, uh, smallpox and polio did not disappear because of the vaccine. Do you want to talk about that? Um, well, since we're limited with time, there's only so much. I can talk about, but I wanted to say, and I want to finish up because I've got another study that I also, that I also just had published with Dr. Brian Hooker, and he's a big player in the vaccine community. And he and I worked on two studies together. We co-authored two studies and we compared vaccinated and unvaccinated children. So I just want to finish up with, with what we're saying. I want to, for, for people to read about polio. Okay. I have, uh, okay. My three main books, I've written nine books. Okay. On vaccines over the years. My three main books for people to, that if they, if they want to investigate further, okay? And all my books I, are highly cited. The, the references in the back, page after page of, of, of the medical citations from which, where I got the information. Um, so vaccines, are they really safe and effective? That's one book, okay? That's the book that you read. Uh, then I've also got vaccine safety manual, okay? And that's, 
that's called Vaccine Safety Manual for Concerned Families and Health Practitioners. In that book, I've got a chapter in there on polio that that does summarize everything. And it's got there's in that book, it's there's 350 pages in that book. And there are over 100 charts, diagrams and illustrations. Okay, so, so, so to, to bring the points home and, and the vaccine safety manual systematically looks at each uh, each disease and, and looks at how how dangerous is the disease, who's most likely to con- con- contract it. And then it looks at the vaccine for those diseases. Okay, so it looks at HPV, it looks at influenza, it looks at polio, it looks at pertussis, diphtheria, tetanus, every every one of the diseases for which a vaccine has been created. I go through systematically looking at how safe is that vaccine, how effective is that vaccine. Okay, so that's if you if that's what you want, that's the vaccine safety manual. Okay, and then my other book, which is the most recent is called Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies. That's the one that that vaccine communities uh, around the country and around the world are using to try to convince Vince legislators that there are problems with vaccines. And we have been able to stop with this book has been instrumental in, 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 in it's not the only reason why some state legislators have opposed uh, bad vaccine laws that were introduced. Okay. But it was very helpful in, in helping them to make up, make, make the right decision. And, um, and I've, I've, uh, and many people have told me that nothing was stopping their doctor from being uh, very aggressive and very tyrannical in, his, in, in, in forcing them to get their children vaccinated, even after their children had already had a series of vaccines that c- caused injuries. And the doctor would deny it, and the parents didn't want to give up their doctor, but they didn't want to continue vaccinating their children. They gave the doctor my book, Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies, 400 important scientific papers summarized for parents and researchers. And I've heard from several parents that have told me that was the only thing that backed the, that, that caused the, the, the doctor to back off from being so, so aggressive in pushing the vaccines. Because when, once the doctor was able to read this and to see how many studies show serious problems associated with vaccines, because there's no emotion in that book. The book is simply a series of studies that I summarize in bullet points. Each one study per page, six or seven bullet points with a, um, with a, uh, with a, with a direct quote uh, taken from, from the study. Um, so it's a very important book. I, I highly recommend uh, people read that. Um, but I want to finish up with sudden infant death syndrome. And I just wanted to say there's so much in here. There's three sections to this study that was published in toxicology reports. The first section is where I started to talk about the history of sudden infant death syndrome. The second section, I conducted an analysis of the vaccine adverse event reporting system. Okay. And this is a database that collects uh, reports of adverse events that take place after vaccination. In that analysis, I looked at how soon after do, after the vaccine, um, is given, do these babies expire? In these, in these reports that are, uh, these, these, uh, these, uh, reports filed with the vaccine adverse event reporting system. And what, g- generally speaking, in summary, about 25% of all reports of sudden infant death after vaccination occur within the first 20, uh, first 24 hours. 
Okay, so a baby gets a vaccine, and if that baby had died from SIDS, about 25% of all those cases, the baby died within, within the first day. About 50% of the babies died within three days, and about 75% within seven days. Okay, so that's what's considered close temporal proximity. And so that is evidence of a, of a linkage between the vaccines and the, um, and, and the, and the baby deaths. Um, I compared these, these two. Basically, there's a statistical, uh, uh, statistical method that, that looks at expected number of deaths per day and compared it to the actual number of deaths. So, and, and you, and so these numbers were highly statistically significant. Um, but for more details about that, because there's, there's many, much, much more to the study, you have to go and read, read the study. And the third part of the, the, uh, the, the paper is where I summarize the, the medical literature associated with sudden vaccines and sudden infant death going back from the 1930s and bringing it all up into the present time. And I also look at biologically plausible explanations for how and or why babies are dying shortly after they receive a cocktail of vaccines. What's causing this? What is the physiological or biological, uh, biologically plausible explanation? And I discuss that in the paper. But I want to discuss briefly that studies that were conducted with Dr. Brian Hooker and I. Dr. Brian Hooker is a biologist. He's also a professor at a college. And he and I worked on two studies together. And in our latest study, it was just published also about three weeks ago. It was published in the Journal of Translational Science, and it's called Health Effects in Vaccinated versus Unvaccinated Children with Covariates for Breastfeeding Status and Type of Birth. And in this study, we had access to three pediatricians' medical records. And these pediatricians were rare in, 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 the, in the nation because what they did is they accepted vaccinated or unvaccinated uh, children in their practices. So we had medical records from these three medical practices, uh, medical records of these children, some of which were vaccinated, some of these children that were unvaccinated, and we had access to how many different types of, of ailments, how many different types of adverse health outcomes or, or, or negative diagnoses did these children have. And we looked at allergies, autism, gastrointestinal disorders, asthma, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and chronic ear infections. And in this study, what we found is that vaccinated children were anywhere from four to over 10 times more likely to be diagnosed with any of these six health, six adverse health conditions when compared to the unvaccinated populations. Okay, so this is a very important vaccinated versus unvaccinated study. You can read this study, download it from my website at thinktwice.com. Scroll down all the way to the towards the bottom on the left-hand side, and I've got a link to this study there. One of the other things in this study that's extremely important, or it's my, actually my favorite part of the study, is in tables 9 and 10. Table 9, we were able to look at Breastfeeding, because we also had access to whether or not these mothers, we had information on whether or not these mothers were breastfeeding their children. And so we divided 
all of the children, vaccinated and unvaccinated, breastfed and unbreastfed, into four groups. In the first group, we looked at children that were un- unvaccinated and breastfed for at least six months. And in the second group, we looked at children that were unvaccinated but not breastfed. In the third group, we looked at children that were vaccinated and breastfed. And in the fourth group, we looked at children that were vaccinated and not breastfed. And there was a statistically significant linear relationship showing that the children that were vaccinated and not breastfed were were significantly higher. I mean, it by orders of magnitude higher, had higher rates of all of these six adverse health conditions when compared to children that were unvaccinated and uh, and breastfed. And in Table 10, we also looked at um, we broke we broke it down into four groups where the, we also looked at children that were either unvaccinated and had a vaginal birth all the way up to children that were vaccinated and were born via C-section. And once again, we found that babies that were born via C-section and were vaccinated had the highest rates of adverse health outcomes when compared to babies that were born vaginally and were unvaccinated. And okay, that's next- super that's super interesting, but so you said that the the worst of the four quadrants or the four categories right. was vaccinated and not breastfed. But then what was second and third? Was it the breastfed and vaccinated? Was that the third or the, or the just, second worst? Just basically the two unvaccinated groups, the first two groups were had the lowest rates, okay? okay. So, so basically, the, and then the, the, the two, two, the two vaccinated groups had the highest rates, but the vaccinated and not breastfed had the highest of all. Okay. So you, I'm sure that you have connected with Paul Thomas over the years, Oregon pediatrician. Yes. Yep. And he yes. recently published a paper and five days later, they took his medical license. And so I just want to report to my audience and to you, if you don't know this, that his medical license has been reinstated. So this is good news. I would love to say that that will be the end of the persecution of Dr. Paul Thomas, and I doubt that it is. But um, his study that was very, very recently published had very similar results to what you had. But the sad thing is, is that even though Dr. Thomas has cost himself millions and millions of dollars in revenues by talking parents out of vaccines for which the the disease risk is incredibly low, like four people in America die a year. Those, I think that's what pertussis is. I can't remember which one he mentioned. Um, but, you know, he goes around talking parents out of it. He still has this like delayed vaccination schedule. And I'm, I'm sorry to report that his study shows that even if you do fewer vaccines and you do them spread apart, uh, the risk of getting all of those diseases that Neil just mentioned is still just meteorically higher than right. the unvaccinated. Exactly. And by the way, Dr. Paul Thomas, he's a pediatrician, uh, and the study that he conducted with what was, was doc- he conduct, he co-authored it with Dr. James Lyons Weiler. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I, uh, in fact, I just did a, a, a podcast interview with Dr. James Lyons Weiler about a week ago. Um, but, um, but sadly, I have to report that it looks like that paper 
that, that was also one of the few that, uh, studies that, that looked at vaccinated and unvaccinated children. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like that paper is also going to be retracted. They're retracting that paper. What's happening right now is science is being corrupted around the world and the scientific method is being corrupted. And anytime a paper is being published in a, in a, in a medical journal, uh, that's going, when it goes through the peer review process and is published, there is a cadre of individuals that have been, uh, that are associated with big pharma and the medical industrial complex that, that put a lot of pressure on the, the, the journal editors, and they look for the smallest reasons to, to pick at these studies and try to force them to be retracted. Um, so it's another form of censorship. We're all aware that censorship is taking place on Facebook, on YouTube, on Wikipedia, uh, in Google. Google's uh, change, has changed the algorithms to, to, to block out the uh, what they don't want people to to read about. In fact, Google itself right now is really is really a health organization because they've they've bought up um, health bought into the health health industries, and so they are they like I said they've they've changed the algorithms uh, to, to to make it so that the, so that um, uh, anything that has to do with alternative health, anything that has to do with questioning vaccines, is buried in the in the in the search engine. Yeah, I I've been. Um, enjoying that for the last few years, two years before anybody ever heard the word COVID, we were losing 80% of our organic traffic online. We used to get millions of visitors a year. And it's not just us. It was, we, we were comparing ourselves to others and we did monthly meetings about it to try to figure out what to do to get our traffic back. And it was all of us, every single person in natural health lost 80% of our traffic. And so, and I think that Google is targeting for us to be completely buried and completely just eliminated. So I'm going to text Sherry Tenpenny after this and say, I hope you got Paul Thomas's, uh, um, his, his study and the other guy, James Lyons, I can't remember Weiler. Um, I hope that you got that in your database of 13,000 studies, most of which have been removed, retracted. And I mean, and it's not like that's going to help us. It's not like Googling for it is going to find, you know, find that study inside her database because, you know, they don't want you to see that. They, they want to show you. And, and when, when Neil says that they've sort of taken over the health industry, what I think what he means is they're controlling, controlling the flow of information. And the only health information you're given is what comes from pharma. They, they've bought up all the legacy sites. They've bought up most of the supplement companies. I believe over 80% of supplements are now uh, by companies that are owned by pharma. But you don't know that. You see whatever brand and you don't know that it's owned by GlaxoSmithKline or whatever. But anyways, add to any of that that you want. But I, I don't think the average person out there knows. I mean, I quit blogging. That's who I originally was. That is my... My thing that I love to do most is write detailed, referenced blog posts and I quit blogging because what's the point? Nobody sees it. Well, the censorship is is continuing. It's tyrannical, it's oppressive, and it's going to destroy our democracy because you can't have a healthy democracy. You can't have a democracy when we don't have uh, voices of dissension. The voices of dissension are important, especially in science. Okay, because like I said, they're they're censoring the science right now. It's extremely difficult to get a pub a, a paper published in a in a peer reviewed medical journal right now if your study has found fault with vaccines in any way. But if you do happen to get it published, then you still have to worry about or be concerned about whether or not it's going to be retracted somewhere down the road for some little little issue that in the past 
you know, generally speaking, when there's a minor issue with a paper, and you can find issues with any paper, by the way, um, but when there's a minor issue, there's what's it, you issue a core agenda, which is it, which is basically a, 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 you tack on. It's basically an acknowledgement that there was a, a, a minor concern in the paper and you address that minor concern, um, but not a retraction, not a full retraction. This is ridiculous. There's there's numerous um, papers that have been retracted and, and almost in the past uh, two, three, four years, and almost every single one of them um, is, is, a, is a paper that has been associated with uh, where, it's, where it's written about and, and divulged problems associated with vaccines. So they're definitely targeting that and they're, they're, they're destroying our, our uh, uh, ability to make informed vaccine decisions. And in fact, one of the reasons that they're pushing for, um, uh, you know, like children, for example, are 95% of all children um, have received the, va- the, 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 vaccine, the vaccines that are recommended for them. So there's less than 5% of, of the children that haven't received vaccines. And why are they pushing for that last 5% to, to vaccinate them? One of the reasons is because they're trying to destroy the control group. The control group is the group that is unvaccinated. These are the group that you can use to compare rates of adverse reactions, just like Dr. Brian Hooker and I did. In, in the two studies that we co-authored together, just like like uh, Paul Thomas and James Lyons Weiler did in their study that's about to be retracted, and also by uh, uh, by um, uh, a guy named Anthony Mawson. He also in 2017 was able to to get a hold of uh, a, a group of people that were unvaccinated and compare them to vaccinated children, and he found the same thing or similar things that we found that that vaccinated children have vastly more adverse uh, adverse um, health outcomes when compared to unvaccinated children. So these studies that I just listed, the Mawson study, the study by Paul Thomas, the two studies by, by Dr. Brian Hooker and I, that's it right now, basically, for vaccinated versus unvaccinated studies. And, and, and they're shutting it down so that there are no more control groups because the control groups is the way that we are able to tell and to show that there's, there's serious problems associated with these vaccines. Well, so. thank you so much for that. And I know that your time is limited, but I bet I love to interview people who kind of interview themselves. They have so much to say and such a wealth of knowledge that they just really can just dive into it. And I'm, I'm just here to along for the ride, but I bet there's a couple things that you wanted to say before you remind us where your book can be found. I'm in a, I'm in the middle of moving right now. Like I'm literally sitting on the floor right now, surrounded by boxes. But when I get from Utah to Florida, I'm going to buy a case of your books and just keep them in my purse because, uh, because I really feel strongly about the courage that a young mother needs and the evidence that a doctor needs to back off their position, especially right now, where they just seem to be winning everywhere. You know, we didn't really get into the COVID stuff. Say anything that you want to about that. If you've got like the two minute summary of how you're feeling about what's been going on the last 16 months with the COVID vaccine and, um, and, and anything that you missed that you wanted to talk about. And then just wrap up, up for us where to find your book. Um, we're, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And I hope that anybody who has the means to do so and the activist soul. Um, we'll buy a case of them like I'm going to and keep them with you and give them to like, think about the lives that you can change. If you give that book to one mother, like, like, like has, like my life has changed. I mean, my two youngest children should be on here thanking you for their health. They really should. But I, 
Thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Um, the, um, but you were the one that, that did your research and, you know, it took you two kids before you, you, you made the connections, but, you know, to, you know, through two of your children that were vaccinated, but you finally made the connection. You began to do your research and, and you made, you made that decision. You woke up. So many people still today, even with all the access to all of the information, all of us speaking out, their children are st- still being hurt because th- these pe- th- these many parents just refuse to to do the research and they just are listening to what they're being told and they're buying into all of the propaganda. Now I don't tell people that you should or should not vaccinate. I simply provide parents and other people, pre- health practitioners, and and so on, with the information so that they with with the information that they're not getting from their doctors so that they can make informed decisions. So I want people to be able to make informed decisions and I want people to be free to accept or reject vaccines. I'm very opposed to mandatory vaccines. Um, Adam Schiff, um, head of the intelligence department in Congress, he, he, he tried to, 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 to censor my book uh, on Amazon and he singled out my book and, and said that it was misinformation. Um, but the, but the, th- the sad thing is, is that what they're calling misinformation today, okay, is not misinformation. It's, it's actual true information, but it goes against the agenda that they're trying to push. So there's, you have to make that distinction. It's, you know, they're calling misinformation any information that they don't like or any, any information that might lead parents or, or individuals to be able to make uh, rational decisions about their own health care. Um, but so they, they, he tried to, like I said, my book, Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies, he targeted it, targeted it. And also my book was written up by, um, by in, in the business papers of all places, right? It was the business sections of the, of the, of the news where my paper was written up as a source of misinformation that had to be censored. And they were targeting Jeff Bezos to, to censor everything on, on the internet that had anything and any of the books that had, um, had anything to do with vaccination, where it was showing, giving parents options or giving parents information that they didn't like. Um, but it actually backfired and, and, um, and people said, whoa, if they're trying to censor this book, then maybe we ought to find out what they're trying to censor. And it really blew sales, you know, sky high. And, um, you know, so that, that's, uh, you know, luckily Amazon, um, held their ground and, and, and did not censor my book because it's, it's the opposite of, of censorship. My book is summaries of actual studies published in the scientific literature. So it's the actual science. It's the opposite of, 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 of misinformation. Um, but now with COVID, one thing I want to mention is, um, you know, there's so much that could be mentioned, but again, we're limited in time. And, um, but I do want to mention one of the things that is, is not being mentioned that is highly significant, very important is the, the role that vitamin D plays in protecting us against uh, respiratory diseases and COVID. There is a website that, that is out there. Um, I, I should put a link up on my own website. In fact, I, I'll, I'll do that. Um, it's, it's, it lists over 70 different studies that have been conducted since the pandemic began. Okay. So 70 different studies have already been conducted showing that vitamin D is protective, highly protective against 
cases of COVID, against hospitalizations associated with COVID, and with deaths associated with COVID. These are studies that have been published in peer-reviewed journals. These are studies that were, were conducted in, in many different ways. Um, and what they find is that the vast majority, upwards of over 90% of all severe cases of COVID are in people that not only are they having, you know, we've, you know, the other issue, of course, is comorbidities. Um, but they're, they're people that are deficient in vitamin D. Now, most people around the world are deficient in vitamin D. You get vitamin D from the sun. And, um, but 70% of people around the world are deficient in vitamin D because we're not, we're not getting enough exposure to the sun. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's something more like over 90% of Caucasians, really pale people like me. Well, actually, um, uh, blacks, okay. Um, African Americans, uh, are especially susceptible to, to deficiency in vitamin D. And that's one of the main reasons why they have higher rates of COVID and severe cases of COVID. Okay. And so the, if, if these, if the big pharma and the CDC and the World Health Organization and, and, um, the FDA, and all these regulatory agencies and all of the health authorities and all of the media were truly concerned about everyone's health associated with, with, um, with, with COVID. And they weren't just pimps pushing vaccines, pushing drugs. Okay. Um, just drug pushers. Okay. Then they would be telling everybody, you'd hear this on the news and you'd be tell, they would be telling everybody, Hey, listen. You know what? Most of the people that are dying from COVID, most of the people that are hospitalized and have severe cases are deficient in vitamin D. And so we recommend, in fact, they shouldn't only be recommending that we go and get vitamin D and be tested to be sure that we have sufficient levels, but they should actually be handing it out. It's so cheap. It's so inexpensive that they should be giving it to everybody around the, around the world, but they're not. Why not? Because they don't really care about our health, or they would be, because the studies are definitive. The studies are, are unequivocal that vitamin D, when you have sufficient um, levels or high levels of vitamin D in your blood system, okay, you will have greater protection against, against COVID than if you don't. So that's my, my, um, my pitch for vitamin D. Um, and, um, but there's so many other issues that you, you can't, you cannot trust the information that you're getting. It's being, uh, censored, uh, so that we don't have full access. Um, the, 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 uh, people that uh, are, uh, medical doctors that are speaking out against vaccines, uh, or against the COVID vaccine are being censored. They're being blocked. They're being, um, attacked with ad, ad hominem attacks. Um, you can tell when they start to smear people that, that anytime that that's the tactic that's used when, when we don't have science and we don't have this ability to argue and set and debate th- these issues, but, but, but people are just smeared. That's your first clue that you're being given a, a, a load of, a load of crap that you're being, being fed propaganda. And yeah, they're even they're even being fired. Um, the twelve disinformation dozen or pandemic profiteers, which is literally just a made up 
made up propaganda words to um, enact a campaign that's been going on now for two months, I believe, against 12 of my colleagues. Um, almost all of them are friends of mine and a few of them are close friends of mine. And they literally had an emergency meeting yesterday to talk about what do we do if we're threatened? What do we do if the police show up? What do we do? They, they were talking about everything to do with protecting themselves. And they're all great American heroes. And a lot of them are like, you know, liberals or, or marooned liberals who are buying a gun for the first time. I mean, this this is the state of science. My mom was telling me this 20 years ago and I was telling her she was ridiculous. She was like, reading science is, is pointless because they, they buy and pay for it all. Well, now I'm way deep down that rabbit hole myself and I, I hate to say that I agree. I, I don't disagree with her now. Um, we got to save science. But I also am really grateful, Neil, that you brought up vitamin D because that's a great positive, constructive um, way to end this interview is to remind ourselves not only don't trust Dr. Fauci because he hasn't once mentioned vitamin D and the link between vulnerability to to COVID and low vitamin D levels could not be clearer. So many studies and, and the opposite being true as well. The corollary is true as well. And it's not hard to go out in the sun for 10 minutes a few times a week. Um, I've had optimal vitamin D levels for 15 years because it's not just COVID that we're we're more resilient to it's everything. I, John and I were talking the other day that we haven't known each other to get sick. We've been together for almost four years and haven't known each other to get sick. And so Dr. Fauci knows it. He, he was quoted in 20, in the media in 2015. I've seen the articles, uh, saying that he takes vitamin D every day. The man takes vitamin D every day and hasn't once in the last 18 months as supposedly half a million Americans died, hasn't once told people to take vitamin D. Um, just vaccine, 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 push, 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 pimp, pimp, pimp. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's just an easy thing to do if you can't get out in the sun. It's not it's necessarily white people. It's people who live far from the equator, which t- is a lot of white people. A lot of white people live far from the equator and a lot of people with darker skin who some of, some of them have higher vitamin D levels uh, live close to the equator. So get out in the sun a little. If you can't take D3 plus K2, they work together, D3 plus K2. So anyway, um, thank and I've you. Got a, and I've got a study, uh, I've got a chapter in my book, Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies, just on vitamin D and how it's protective against uh, influenza. So there are numerous studies showing that if you take vitamin D, it protects you against the flu as well. So, Yeah, that's, that's a perfect thing to mention because, you know, of course, flu went away this last, this last uh um, winter, but eventually it'll be back when they decide to stop focusing so much on COVID or calling everything that's flu COVID. Um, but the only, I've only had the flu once in my life and it was the year that I was forced for graduate school, uh, working in a hospital to get the flu vaccine. And, you know, if I had to do that over again, I would say no to that internship, even though it was like the, the internship I wanted, I would say no to it. And now we know better and there's good news that we could take vitamin T D. There's good news. Dr. Paul Thomas got his license back. Um, there's also good news that 51% of America hasn't taken the COVID vaccine despite all this incredible pressure. And that's, that's all the people who haven't gotten vaccinated at all. There's also 8% of the people who got the first jab who refused to go back for the second. So everyone get a case of Neil Z. Miller's new book. I'm super excited about it. I'm going to order a case when I get to Florida. I cannot move one more box from here to there, but when I get there, I'm ordering it. Um, and this is a perfect opportunity for me to tell you, Neil, um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your role in saving the health of my children. And I will spend the rest of my days uh, telling more people about your work and about this this terrible, terrible, corrupt industry. 
Thank you, Robin. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share information with your listeners. And I appreciate what you do. I've been holistic my whole life. Uh, we, you know, my wife's a vegan and we, we, uh, you know, we do green smoothies, by the way, every day. And so, uh, we've been doing this for, 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 for years. Um, everything we do is, is as holistic as possible. Um, so good for you. I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate that, that you're waking up your audience as well. Very good. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.